Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb Smith. I'm Torrance Witherspoon. And today we're Dangerously Likely to talk about the soul of the nation. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. In the wake of climate change, many industries and countries are making the move to clean energy, some through the usual suspects of wind and solar energy, but others through a less conventional and more innovative approach. Take the island nation of Japan. They do not have great access to clean energy sources and have a fossil fuel reliance. However, they are testing out a system that may be able to generate energy in a new way, a giant deep ocean turbine. Japanese heavy machinery maker IHI Corp has been working on a subsea turbine that will be designed to generate energy from one of the world's strongest ocean currents, which is just off the eastern shore of Japan. The turbine, if made possible, would be placed about 30 to 50 meters below the ocean and generate a reliable form of electricity with the energy capacity of that of today's coal plants, which is much more than our green energy counterparts in solar and wind uh, currently have. Torrance, this new technology has already been prototyped and has shown real progress. What do you think about this? I am incredibly excited about this. And also, um, I, I, mean, I didn't you know, pull any of the uh, specific uh, credits like, so I could credit, credit the company or, or the lab that is doing this research. But just this past weekend, I was actually um, both watching a video and doing some reading on something similar um, about a company who is doing a deep water wave uh, energy kind of like turbine. It's not so much a turbine as that it is these like plastic pallets that are out in the middle of the ocean that are through the waves going across the pallet. It's generating the, inf- it's generating the energy um, and then storing it in these small batteries that are on there. And they're, they're just prototyping it as well. But like the, the idea was innovative and obviously very brilliant. And I, I'm loving how um, the new energy uh, resources that we are, that we are looking for is really breeding such innovation um, in, in multiple sectors. And, and it seems like our best minds are really at work to try to give us the best options um, so that we can try to save our, our planet to our best ability. So I'm excited about it. Me too. This thing is like kind of wild. Um, it's kind of shaped like an airplane with massive turbines, kind of where the engines are and stuff. And like it would be a super reliable source of energy. It would output like when used effectively, it could output like more than or about as much as like a nuclear power plant could. And it would be just as reliable because that ocean current isn't going away. So super exciting stuff. I'm sure there's going to be so much more innovative things. Um, if I mean, there already has been, but I'm sure we'll discuss a lot more on the show because it's kind of cool seeing some of the innovation, especially, I mean, this is in Japan, but now that we passed one of the biggest no, the biggest climate spending bill um, the federal government has ever passed. I'm sure that's going to really spurn some new innovation, and I'm excited to see what happens. This week, U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon, a Trump appointee, has granted the former president's request for a special master to review documents seized by the FBI from Mar-a-Lago last month, temporarily stopping federal prosecutors from using those documents in their investigation into obstruction and mishandling of government secrets. The decision was expected. Last weekend, the judge said she was inclined to grant Trump's request, and a hearing on the matter took place last Thursday. At that hearing, the Justice Department laid out its argument against the special master and said that it was likely to appeal such a ruling. Cannon cited in her order on Monday the need to ensure, quote, the appearance of fairness and integrity under the extraordinary circumstances presented. A special master is an an independent third party, typically an attorney, appointed by the judge to review materials seized in a search for anything that may be protected from investigation by attorney-client privilege or executive privilege, as Trump is claiming. The judge also ordered the government to seize any review of use or use of the materials for its criminal investigation until the special master review is completed. But Cannon did say that the intelligence community may continue its review to to determine potential national security risks from the classified material being kept outside of a secure government facility. Legal scholars have noted that this is just another tactic by by Trump and his legal team to draw out this process in an attempt to continue to undermine the FBI and the Department of Justice. On Friday, Cannon unsealed a list of items the FBI seized from Trump's Mar-a-Lago home during the court-authorized search last month. Previous documents filed in court 
uh, by the Department of Justice revealed that Trump was holding several classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, and the DOJ has raised questions on whether Trump and his team attempted to obstruct justice by concealing or removing some of the documents authorities wanted, which I haven't shared, but is noted because there were, among those documents, empty folders with confidential um, confidential uh, ceilings on them. So it does raise questions about whether those are just mixed in with other documents, as has been evidenced, I think, in pictures that have been circulating online from um, the raid, or if they are, you know, who, who knows? So, um, Caleb, this story has obviously continued to dominate the headlines and airwaves over the past couple of weeks, taking away a lot of time from us discussing some of the great accomplishments um, legislative, legislatively that have occurred. Um, I focused on the excellent reporting from NPR and broke down what a special master is because I feel like that is something that has not been clearly identified or explained to people who who are not in law school, like yourself. Um, uh, but I, I know this had lack of clarity in the media, and I wanted to make sure that we we brought some to it. So what are your thoughts on these developments? Well, honestly, Torrance, um, I'm no, I am no legal expert, but you are. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know why I would go that far. Um, I'm not even, actually, I wouldn't go near that. Um, I was like, I, if, if law school has taught me anything, it's like, uh, you got a way to go, buddy. Um, like doing well, got a good foundation, but you know, lots to learn. Uh, everything that I have seen about this is while it was expected, it's also like a really weird decision to make. Like some someone who has more legal knowledge than me on Twitter was saying, what if every criminal investigation that we don't we don't even know if charges are going to be on like put on Trump yet? Like we don't even know if he'll be charged with this. But basically, this person amounted it to, okay, does every criminal investigation does everyone who is uh, being investigated for a crime now get a special master because that's what Trump got and that doesn't really happen. So, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but just some of the reactions on here is like, it was expected, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, I think that there's a larger um, constitutional and legal question at hand here that I think is not being spoken about um, with the right vigor and seriousness, which is that the entire concept of our justice system and our constitution here is that there's equal justice under the law, regardless of who you are, right? And all of these specific... Um, acts that are that seem or purport to be um protecting protecting that i mean she says right quote she was she needs to ensure quote the appearance of fairness and integrity under the extraordinary circumstances presented which i can respect that i absolutely can respect that and certainly as i do go into my legal career a little bit more i understand the importance of weighing those things um but to my to my to the point i was making if it is equal justice under the law and that no one is above the law in this country, including a president or a former president, then these extraordinary circumstances, as she puts it, that require us to take extra steps in due diligence or care undermine that idea because we are taking those extra steps in due diligence that we don't take with an average person. And some might say, well, that's a little naive, Torrance, that you would that you would take that position while acknowledging the importance of the integrity of our of our of our of our systems. Yeah, but, I think that, but I think that it actually preserves the integrity of our systems by treating him like an American citizen as anyone else would. We are not investigating um, arbitrary um, laws. We're not even investigating case law or common law, which is made in the courts and not written in federal statutes. Like this is th these are specific federal statutes that do not allow for even the president of the United States to take certain documents outside of the White House, out of secure facilities, um, even if he declassifies them. Like you know, there there are specifics to this. So this is this is the rule of law that we're that we're talking about, and the idea that the that the opposition or the conservative wing of this um, of the Republican Party thinks that this is just a wit a witch hunt is, and I know I'm wasting my breath, right? Uh, that they've been this for a long time, but are, are complete hypocrites when it comes to um, saying that they are on the side of a law and order. Uh, at this point, it's a laughable political uh, line. And we, we must note right now at the time of recording, we just you know got a, a ding from Washington Post that uh, the FBI seized material at Mar-a-Lago on a foreign that had information on a foreign military's defenses, including their nuclear weapons, reported that's tonight. Insane. And like that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And I think that like you know I'm sure you listen to our good pals over uh, at Pod Save America that. Yes. Some of some of the things that were found had the markings of human intelligence, which that's not just some, oh, did the president have information he shouldn't have? Some of that stuff, one, isn't supposed to ever be written down. 
there were there were there were evidence of written hand notes because you get these things verbally because of the sensitive information. Um, any any um, confidential information about human assets put their, puts their life at risk. And an entire intelligence operation that we may have in place in a foreign country where that intelligence is giving us a lot of actionable information to protect ourselves. There's just so much more seriousness to this, as I was saying at the beginning, that is being taken. And the idea that this is just simply political um, misses the forest for the trees altogether. I also think that, like, yeah, maybe there's due diligence, or at least the judge is arguing for due diligence. And I agree with your argument that you made just now that we should treat Trump like an ordinary American citizen. Like he shouldn't get these special rights. Like if he's, if he's committed a crime, then he should be investigated for that. Like anybody else would and charged with that. Like anybody else would, if the evidence comes up, um, which I'm saying if a lot, but we know a lot of this already, but you know, I was speaking of pod save America. I was listening to a, an episode a week or two back and it was I do not remember who it was that they were interviewing but it was a democrat who had just won an unlikely uh race um against a republican and he used to be in the army and he was like look if I was caught with all of those documents I'd be in jail right now they wouldn't even let me be out there being free he's like I would be in jail and so like we're already giving Trump like the due diligence and like whatnot that we wouldn't give an ordinary citizen. Well, and quite frankly, based on his historical conduct and his conduct in office is not at all merited. There's no reasonable justification for extending that. So quite frankly, it's already um, a generous thing that's being done for the sake of, of caring about our institutions and our democracy. Um, and I, and I want to point this out, as I'm sure you have read yourself, and if you have it to our listeners, that there are several members of uh, the, the Republican Party, includes, including um, Representative McCarthy um, and, uh, God, I'm happy I forgot this guy's name, uh, the jackass senator from Missouri. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, oh, my God. God, the fact uh, that Josh Hawley, slipping, Josh, Josh Hawley is slipping my brain felt like the greatest gift I've gotten in a while. Like, <laughs> sorry it, for the giving it back to you. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. Like, I want to be specific so people know, uh, but are calling for, are not calling for, I, I don't even want to misstate, misrepresent their words, but are say, stating that if a charges were brought against former president Trump, that there would be riots in the street. And there's been this debate, obviously about prophecy. It's, uh, it's, it's sounds more like a, a, a call to action than anything else, obviously. Um, yeah. And I think that it's it's intentional to try to intimidate the Department of Justice in their weighing of how they approach this uh, case. And all of those things that we're talking about, all of those extra factors that would not apply to the guy that you were mentioning on the podcast, like, right, like that that's the thing I'm talking about when it comes to not actually protecting uh, equal justice under the law and no one being above it. So- I take great issue with it, and I would argue, obviously, that my starting law school makes me a little more uh, viscerally uh, impacted by this kind of idiocy. So while our good friend Terrell is off this week, I'm going to dive into the international fold as we have some big news coming from one of our closest allies. The United Kingdom elected its new prime minister this week, Liz Truss, a Conservative Party member who was previously serving as foreign secretary for the past year and now will lead the country's ruling Conservative Party in Parliament and as head of state. She met the Queen today at Balmoral Castle, where she accepted the Queen's offer to form a new government, making her the third uh, female prime minister in England's history. Trust beat out her Conservative Party opponent with 81,326 votes to Sunak's 60,399 votes. Trust was elected by a quote-unquote selectorate, as the British media calls it, which consisted of only 172,437 um, dues-paying members of the Conservative Party. Um, which makes up only 0.03 of the country's population, um, and which would, would be voted on in a general election, excuse me. And obviously that, that short representation is evidenced by the YouGov poll that was conducted last week that showed she that only 12% of the British population believes that she will be a good or great prime minister, where 52% think she will be bad for the country. This change comes at a time of great political upheaval in the country um, with energy prices and housing prices soaring. Interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I, it just seems like an absolute mess, which I can't 
talk too much about because it were a mess here too. But Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, things are, I mean, like, you know, they, England is a lot more similar to us in some, in, in some ways that I think people like understand that like they ha- lean a little more, like they're a much more realized version of libertarianism, right? Like they actually have a much more like, uh, even their conservative party is more liberal in its, in its social uh, policy views. Whereas they're still pretty conservative in their economic views. And, you know, like as evidenced by today, she was saying, um, she was saying about the the soaring energy prices that, you know, like we'll just have to like hunker through it, you know, which obviously is as a result of the the war in Ukraine. So I I can't, I can't really knock her for that. They are, we are all taking a a hit to support democracy across, across the country. But uh, I think people are really concerned about what direction she'll take it on some social issues because she was the equalities minister before and, uh, was not favorable to to minority populations, specifically the LGBTQ plus uh, community. So I'm interested to see what happens. But I think if we're looking at the YouGov poll, um, come a general election time, I can't see this, you know, unless she does a really good job, you know, like her getting elected again. 52% think she will be bad for the country. That is yeah. so bad. Yeah. That's yeah. so bad. I guess that's like, what I mean. I'm like, you know, we could, we, we, we could be better off with a dysfunctional, like, you know, election and, and governmental process. yeah i mean that's just that's just terrible i don't know a lot about liz truss so far the headlines coming out of today are um already comparing her to boris johnson boris johnson you know metaphorical guy who just kind of said shit and she's more like uh here's the bullet points of what i'm gonna do which i don't know that's i respect it but still like but it's like 52 percent jesus it's very Thatcherism, you know, like she's like yeah. she is being uh, called a, a tax cutting crusader. Um, and so, like, <laughs> you know, she's leading with those same false like, they, you know, so people are talking about we need to assist people with the soaring energy costs um, and household bills. And she is absolutely opposed uh, to such a package uh, and just wants to cut people's taxes. But that just doesn't I mean, that just doesn't go directly to their pocket. It doesn't. Period. So. Um, we, we don't always see those things and, and I don't know that's going to help her. So I, I am with the British people and I will, uh, wait to see how, um, effective or ineffective her, uh, governance is. Uh, we just want to, we at Dangerously Likely will continue to follow the conflict taking place in Ukraine and update you as we learn more. Check out our Facebook and Twitter pages for updates through the week. We'll be back after this. America has been a beacon to the world. But as I stand here tonight, equality and democracy are under assault. We do ourselves no favor to pretend otherwise. So tonight, I've come to this place where it all began to speak as plainly as I can to the nation about the threats we face about the power we have in our own hands to meet these threats, and about the incredible future that lies in front of us, if only we choose it. We must never forget, we, the people, are the true heirs of the American experiment that began more than two centuries ago. We, the people, have burning inside of each of us the flame of liberty that was lit here at Independence Hall, a flame that lit our way through abolition, the Civil War, suffrage, the Great Depression, world wars, civil rights. That sacred flame still burns. And we're back. As you guys just heard, that was a clip from President Biden's speech this weekend that he delivered at Independence National Historic Park in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the birthplace of our country and the Constitution. He gave that speech there to talk about the importance of democracy and the history of our country and and the sometimes troubled and often imperfect uh, path that we've been on towards uh, the ideal American dream. 
Uh, and as you heard him say there, you know, we the people are the true heirs of the American experiment. And I think that that was um, the ethos of the of the speech overall, which we'll be we'll be previewing some other parts uh, as we continue this discussion. Um, just to kick us off, though, like Caleb, just even with that that first part that we just played for our listeners, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? Well, this was a great speech, and honestly, I think it came at a really good time. I the last month has been kind of a good news cycle for Democrats in general. Like you know, we passed big bill, uh, climate spending bill. Um, Donald Trump has been in the news a lot for you know the classified documents, what we talked about earlier, and that's not going away. It's only getting worse for him. Um, in general, oh, and the student loan forgiveness, of course. Like there's just been a lot of good things happening for Democrats. It's really been going Democrats way the last few weeks, but also like as we start to get into this weird area of the law and politics where Trump's been doing illegal shit basically. (laughs) And then the justice department's trying to figure out how to deal with it and handle it. And we're starting to enter into like this almost unprecedented time. And of course, you know, MAGA supporters, Trump supporters, they are basically being encouraged by Republican Party leaders like Trump, like Kevin McCarthy, to kind of threaten the FBI and the Justice Department, basically to scare them out of doing anything with this. And why I think this speech is really timely is because we've already we've been in this news cycle. We've seen this stuff happen. There's new information that comes out every day, it feels like, for the last three or four weeks. And now that we're kind of in the thick of it a little bit, Biden comes out and he puts together this speech about the soul of the nation, saving the soul of the nation, talking about what Republicans are doing that is kind of anti-democratic to our values, to the country, and what Democrats are doing and what this really means for the future of our country. And it's, it's a couple of months before the midterm elections he creates a stark choice. And I just, I think the, the speech is a really good speech in general. I think it was a really good timing of when he decided to do this. Um, what do you think, Torrance? I, I absolutely concur. I honestly, I think it's reflective of a lot of the, the shift in the White House's, um, I don't know, MO or game plan going into the midterms over the past couple of weeks and just decided to say, you know what, like, you know, I think a lot of our criticism or our listeners who have been on of Biden has been go out there and please take the shot, right? Like go, don't hold the swings, fight as hard as you can for the things that you say that we care about and stop playing this safe political game, trying, trying to engage in good faith negotiations with people who have no interest in good faith. Right. And, and, and it seems like everything from the chips bill um, to the bill that we passed for, for veterans and the hardball they played with that. And then also obviously the reconciliation package being the, the largest climate deal in, 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 in the world's history um, that it seems like we've come out swinging. We've done, we're done playing the games with, with, with the Republican party and we're going to govern because as this, as this speech points out, we are responsible to the people, right? The people are, are where the power is vested in this country by our constitution. And I think that is if we take a political position of being motivated by that it, it, with, with all of our actions, that we stand a better chance of actually remaining in power and gaining power and, and, and affecting the change in our country that we um, hope to. Um, and I think that this speech just like lays out not only what, what's possible when the sensible, logical, um, party that is on the, the side of the people is here to govern versus what can happen when we have a extremist uh, politically violent, to be completely honest. And he goes on to say a lot, a lot about that in the speech um, coming from the, the, the Republican Party, but specifically, as he states, the MAGA Republican wing of the party. Um, and to that point, something that I think is important about this is, you know, he goes he goes on very specifically just shortly after this part of the speech to say that. He knows that not every Republican is is a MAGA Republican, and he knows that because he's been able to work with those mainstream, as he calls them, Republicans, uh, to get some things done. But what I say to that is, yeah, no, I'm not rejecting that those people exist. What I'm saying is that if you, um, silence is complicit. And when you choose power over democracy, power over people, um, 
and, and you and you keep your mouth shut for the sake of winning your election um, at the at the peril of the rest of our our republic and this American experiment, then you are you might as well be just as guilty as those folks. Um, because what is happening in the Republican Party right now um, is certainly concerning, if not definitely um, a a huge risk to the foundations of our of our democracy. And and I think that this speech uh, says it poignantly and says the things that people have been expecting out of him. Um, I want to call out, you know, he says as a call to action, uh, quote, I want to say as clearly as we can, we are not powerless in in the face of these threats. We are not bystanders in this ongoing attack on democracy. There are more Americans of every background and belief that reject the ideology of the Republican Party or the MAGA Republican Party. And I think that it's it's this really awesome and beautifully written uh, call to action about the the soul of our country and and the idea of the American experiment overall. Yeah, no, that's a great line. I completely agree with that. I, and I think it's like, it kind of speaks to like what a lot of people are feeling like us, like on this show, like it is in our hands where America's next chapter lies. And on this show, we have talked about so many different issues and the importance of voting for the people who are going to, you know, work for you, who are going to, uh, that are pro-democracy, <laughs> right? Like, I, it, it, it's just, it's incredible where the Republican Party has gone. And I know that we're all just, uh, I don't remember the word, desensitized, I feel like. But what I think this speech does a really good job of is it does a really good job of kind of calling us to the right actions and laying out basically the problem with the Republican party (laughs) and what it means to have a democracy and that democracy isn't guaranteed. No, I I just want to say like that that's, that's, that's precisely right. That I think, um, you know, he, what, what has been at the central, um, sorry, the center of, of this, kind of weird political time. And, and I've been, I'm literally, as you're talking out loud, I, I was like kind of funneling through my brain processing this is that he, he go, he does say, right. We, we, we do ourselves no favor ignoring that this is the case that, that this extremist wing is as extreme as we all feel that it is. Right. But this, but this decades and decades long norm in our country between the two parties of respectability, which is, and I, I'm not calling for a lack of respectability, but I'm saying this like, we don't want to hurt their feelings. We have to work with them. We can't. We can't be completely blunt and honest about the reality of their actions and behaviors, and it's and and how dangerous it is. Because then, how do we govern together, right? And I think I mm-hmm. said on the last episode I was on that, like, as someone who has lived a life where that has been centrally important to me, and as someone who obviously I've said about talked about it many times with being mixed race, but becoming from two different types of families, where I've always grown up with conservative members of my family and obviously liberal members of my immediate family that have caused us to have to really sit and think about what that means about our dynamic that like it has it has prevented us from really saying what is necessary about this um because i think that is if we continue to allow this to just seem like it's this powerless wing of a dominant party in our country that we stand uh to lose the rest of it because the people on that side albeit however small you can say that the 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 plurality of that party is that that is a MAGA Republican as long as they're silent and complicit in fighting for overall power we are not safe from those dangers and so uh I think that this call to action is is helpful and and he goes on to say that you know I so I want to say plain this plain and simple there is no place for political violence in America period none ever end quote um and I thought that that was powerful I also thought wow how absolutely, excuse my friends, fucked up is it that that's like where we're at? Like that is a very serious thing. Um, yes. And that after the insurrection in 2020 or in 2021, rather, uh, that's that's a reality. And, and it wasn't just some like it wasn't just some huge overrun protest or anything that turns into a riot. It was a a uniform and strategically planned infiltration of our nation's capital 
in order to try to prevent a peaceful transfer of power. And that is no small chips when we're talking about uh, the longest, most sustaining democracy in the world. And if we don't treat it as serious as that, as we've been calling on people to, um, then I don't think that we find the solution. But I think that this speech does a really good job of illustrating that. Um, yes. Yeah. And look, like, to your point earlier about uh, what he was saying about uh, what he called mainstream Republicans, the ones he wants to work with, like, I kind of think the gloves are off with Biden. Uh, and what I mean by that is, like, he's gotten probably almost everything he wants to get done before the midterm elections. Like he is one of the most legislative successfully or successful presidents that we've had. And I kind of think that he was uh, maybe pun intended Biden his time with this. Like I, I think that yes, he should come out. He should talk about this more. He should make speeches like this. And I think, I hope that this is the start of kind of more of a campaign of getting the word out, not only about the stuff that Democrats and he have uh, given America, especially in the last few weeks, but also telling us, telling us why the Republican party is so dangerous. And at the same time though, I think it's important that he offers kind of uh like an olive branch to what he calls the mainstream Republicans that are still willing to at least work a little bit with the administration, because I think he's trying to keep his, his, uh, what do you call it? His coalition. Right. I think he's trying to keep his coalition, but he's also, I think giving an out he's, he's giving a permission structure and out to Republicans who are a little bit on the fence while they might not like Democrats and they think Democrats are bad, they don't want anything to do with with what the Republican Party has turned into. And I think that does make up the coalition that hopefully will defeat this anti-democratic wave from Republicans. I hope. So and well, I think that it's a really it's a it's it, obviously it's intentional, right? Heading into the midterms where we are sitting in a favor like a much more favorable spot than we were three months ago. Um, where we, you know, we're, we're all but convinced that we were likely losing both chambers, um, probably for sure the House, and now it feels like it's possible to to, to perhaps keep the House and maybe flip some seats in the Senate. Um, but like, you know, he says in this in the speech quote, "We're all called by duty and conscience to confront extremists who will put their own pursuit of power above all else." Let's go to another clip really quick. I believe America is at an inflection point. One of those moments that determine the shape of everything that's to come after. And now, America must choose to move forward or to move backwards, to build a future or obsess about the past, to be a nation of hope and unity and optimism, or a nation of fear, division, and of darkness. MAGA Republicans have made their choice. They embrace anger. They thrive on chaos. They live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. So as you guys heard, the president is, is talking about this inflection point that we're at. Um, and obviously much of what we've covered um, over the past year and several years about um, this culture of lies that has come out of the Republican Party and that has that has been one of the leading factors in people, I think, like myself, like other um, compromising people when it comes to politics, that at what point, again, I ask the great question, is it not just insulting to our, to our intelligence, but insulting to our value for American democracy to continue to engage in bad faith um, conversations and, and, and negotiations with a party and with people who make no mystery of their intentions um, for power and not for the people. And, uh, and, and, and quite frankly, even more disgustingly do so um, under the guise of being a party for the people um, and playing on their fears through culture wars. And I just think that, it, you, know, you know, as we were offline, I know Caleb, we were talking about it, that if you haven't, please do go listen to the entire speech. It is um, 
Absolutely. one of the best speeches he's he's ever given. Um, I I as I sit here, I'm completely <laughs> upset that I don't have the speechwriter's name off the top of my head because it is so beautiful. Um, and I just think such a powerful oratory. Um, but I think that it's really important for us that we remember that, like, you know, regardless of ideology, that it, we are called to a greater purpose of our democracy um, and that we can't disagree on policy um, and issues if we don't have a democratic um, society and a republic, at the, a republic that allows us to do so, but protects us and allows us to do so. Uh, you know, he says later in the speech that we, we likely won't play um, about the Republican Party, you know, being outraged, but that democracy affords them that entitlement to do so. And it is that democracy that we are called on to protect. And I just think that it is important for us at this point to yet never turn to violence the way that the, the Republican Party has seemed to be calling um, their followers to do, but to not be afraid to engage in the same full-throated um, attest to our values and what's important to us as, as Democrats as, and, as, and as fellow Americans, and that we, we can rise above the divisiveness that it seems to be at the, at the center of all of, of their political lines. I think uh, divisiveness um, and culture wars is their only play at this point. I think that we find ourselves both economically, socially, in our education, um, in our uh, geopolitical uh, positioning, where their policies do not work and have not worked. And the American people understand that and are living it. And I think that if we reject this idea of culture wars, if we reject this idea of needing to engage in them with other people, that perhaps as we as we continue to stand up and, and be activists and advocates for the things that are important to us, um, but ultimately um, important to the foundation of our of our democracy, that we will ultimately prevail. And I don't say that to be Pollyanna or to just be optimistic, but rather that like we don't have the option to give up. That's, I mean, certainly, I guess you could say in, in all reality, we do. But what option is that, right? Like that doesn't speak to um, the spirit of the American people. And as the heirs of the American experiment, in which has never been perfect for people like me, people of color, gay people in this country, we're still in pursuit of that. We still are holding out hope that we can achieve that. And so I'm not willing to concede and give up on those things at this point. What did you think of it, Caleb? I mean, I really believe the line that America's at an inflection point. Inflection point. I, when you think about it, we are at this point where we got a taste of what it's going to be like. We had four years of Trump and Republicans, uh, for the most part, in control. And I don't think anybody is going, I don't think, I don't know. There's definitely a lot of people who realize this, and I think there's a lot that don't, that if Trump won the presidency again, if Republicans took back the houses, like, holy shit, like the gloves are off for them. Like, I don't think that we fully understand what's going to happen. It's going to be even worse than before, but like, we truly are going to lose our democracy. And you're right. Like, and Biden's right too. We there really isn't an option other than to fight for our democracy. I mean, like you said, we could not just do anything, but then what? What's the kind of life that you want to live that the people around you want to live, right? Like this is, we're at a point where we can keep voting for people who are going to protect our democracy in the midterms in 2024 and beyond. And we can flush out this wave of extremism, but we have to be, on the ready all the time and it's going to be exhausting, but we have to, or things like things like abortion rights. Like that's just the beginning if we don't. So I, I don't know the speechwriter's name either. I should look that up because really just, well, this was just a really good speech in general, like lots of good lines in there. And it just, again, just does such a good job of outlining the threat to our democracy outlining this is what Republicans want. If you vote for them, it outlines exactly what Republicans will do. And it outlines people who want to protect democracy and how we can protect it. Basically it's, it's good. It's all, yeah. it's a, it's a good speech. You know, and he, and I think that he, it's so, it's so well balanced about trying to, as you put it, 
off of this olive branch, um, which it's interesting to, to characterize it as an olive branch when really it's just to say, hey, I thought I thought we were both on the side of democracy above all else. Are you will are you are you wanting to come back? Are you right? Are you are you wanting to 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 acknowledge that and, and come back to that side? And and he does so in a way that I think offers, as you put it, um an off ramp for some of those people. You know, he says that American democracy only works only if we choose to respect the rule of law and the institution that were set up in this chamber behind me, only if we respect our legi- legitimate political difference. He uh goes on to state that. Um, he said, look, I know politics can be fierce, mean, and nasty in America. I get it. I believe in the give and take in politics, in disagreement and debate and dissent. We're a big, complicated country, but democracy endures only if we the people protect it. And it only if we see politics not as total war, but as remediation of our differences. You can't love your country only when you win. And I think that it is interesting that you know by some it's been received as an overly political uh an overly political and divisive speech when I, I i need you to point out the lie right like and that's the thing when i'm saying no longer engaging in bad faith arguments like it is not our responsibility and this is certainly the law school logic coming in it is not our responsibility to always answer every question to explain everything it is often and increasingly so in our society and public discourse the responsibility of the people on the opposition side to explain why they hold that position or what the what the validity of their question is in the first place right or the validity of their position is in the first place i don't need to explain to you why we say things like, we'll be better off if we see politics not as total war, but as remediation of our differences. If that makes you feel unsettled, what part of that makes you feel unsettled? What have you done that you feel unsettled by someone saying that we shouldn't see politics as total war? Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just going to call out the jackass that he is, Representative um, McCarthy, for the the literal pre that he gave uh, to to the speech uh, calling on President Biden to give an apology to Republicans. <laughs> Honestly, like that is quite frankly child's play. And <laughs> it is unserious. And this is a much right. more serious you know, issue than, than yeah. someone giving some absolutely politically bullshit speech before even hearing the president's speech itself. If that is not the definition of political games, I don't know what is. Um, you know, and he and he and he states, "quote I will not stand by and watch the will of the American people be stolen uh, by wild conspiracy theories and baseless evidence-free claims of fraud. I will not stand by and watch election in this country stolen by people who simply refuse to accept that they lost. We have been playing a political mind game with a bunch of people behaving like four-year-olds who will not accept that they've lost. And I don't say that to be demeaning or." to belittle the position of those people who might genuinely believe that it's that you don't get to live in a world without proof or logic and then throw a fit about it. I just think that I, that's important. I think that there's always been, especially in the last several years, I feel like there's, there's really this debate about how democratic candidates should run for office. Should they run as mostly anti-Trump rhetoric or should they run more out of like what they are going to do in office, you know, policy and whatnot. And I think that like the answer is somewhere in the middle of those, but defining the problem is so important. Defining why Republicans are not a great choice for office or our democracy, I think is a really good part of whichever campaign that you're on. And I think Joe Biden perfectly laid out what that is right here. I think he perfectly laid that out. And it also just as kind of a, I don't know, maybe a stupid note, like the short term effect of this speech so far has been Trump in a rally calling Philadelphia a stupid city. So (laughs) like he's just shooting himself in the foot and well, I don't like, like, I think Biden laid the trap for him here. And there was a piece in the Atlantic that, that argued that Biden go to Trump into basically responding 
And I don't think it's wrong. I think he responded and I think he called Philadelphia dumb and like, that's not great for the two Senate candidates and the governor who are trying to win Philadelphia on the Republican side, right? Or Pennsylvania on the Republican side. So yikes. Well, but, but, but I guess like, that's what's like, it's just so much more deep than that. Right. Like, I think that's what I think is deeply maddening at this point um, in the public discourse around our politics is that he is so deeply unserious that it is, it, it is, mm-hmm infuriating because that is the like that is the birthplace of the founding of our nation where our constitution was written and he has zero as we know in his behavior but in his statements now respect for our history while trying to take us back to the worst parts of it i mean it is it is deeply unserious it shows a lack of of understanding and conviction for what the the American experiment is all about. And, and I just get so frustrated that that is not taken um, more seriously by the, by the Republican party, that they are so lost to these culture wars and this um, ego of one and Donald Trump, that they have abandoned all the things that they spent the majority of my life, rally, you know, rallying and screaming from the rooftops. And, 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 and the alternative, you know, we have we have President Biden saying things like this, which I think to the point that you were making about how do we run um, as Democrats in this country? I've, I've always been of the mind that in the most honest way that we can about our shortcomings, about our successes and acknowledge the work that needs to be done. And he goes on to say, and I want to quote this, I think it's really, really important. He says, I made a bet on you, the American people, and that bet is paying off. Proving that from darkness, the darkness of Charlottesville, of COVID, of gun violence, of insurrection, we can see the light. Light is now visible. Light that will guide us forward, not only in words, but in actions. Actions for you, for your children, for your grandchildren, for America. Even in this moment with all the challenges we face, I give you my word as a Biden. I've never been more optimistic about America's future, not because of me, but because of who you are. And I think that, you know, as I was reading that, I got goosebumps. Not because it's like yeah, like it's the best written thing ever, but because is that not what like American aspirationalism is supposed to be about? Or have I, or has this all been propaganda bullshit? Right. And like I know that I've said that a ton of times on our podcast in the past, but like at what point has all of this been a complete lie? Because it, none of it seems to be standing to be true anymore. Specifically coming from people who who used to hold that as the most important thing that we were not allowed to um, even question about this 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 great country, right? So I, I just think the speech was beautiful. The points are important, um, but that ultimately the larger point that I, I want us to be taking away to, with from this and to continue to talk about in our public discourse is that. We must be more serious in our in, in the way that we discuss these things. And we must be more serious in holding others accountable for the lack of logic, lack of good faith, um, lack of good reason for pursuing and saying some of the things that they do. I think that as, you know, we, we could go on and on about the speech, but going into the midterm election this fall, um, a lot of this is about making sure that we get we get out the vote and that we vote with our conscience, that we vote with our, our democracy and our country in mind. Uh, and so with that said, uh, I would like to end this segment by giving our president the final word. For a long time, we told ourselves that American democracy is guaranteed, but it's not. We have to defend it, protect it, stand up for it, each and every one of us. That's why tonight I'm asking our nation to come together Unite behind the single purpose of defending our democracy, regardless of your ideology. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously likely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes. Give us a review, rate our episodes, please. Take us on a tangent, Torrance. All right, so I'm sure that some of you already are aware of this as it has been storming the internet, especially in light of the Venice Film Festival taking place right now. Um, it's corn. But 
Oh Jesus. Okay, I do hate him. Um, but we 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 have kept it very serious this episode. So you know what? He'll I'll give him a few passes. But um, I am going to get into this absolute bullshit about you know don't worry, darling. The drama around Olivia Wilde, around Shia LaBeouf, around Florence Pugh. Uh, Harry Styles really is on the periphery, guys. I I love the man. I absolutely do. But he's on the periphery of all this bullshit. So. To give you the clips note version, a lot of this is all stemming or coming back uh, to the surface uh, as a result of originally this this movie that is uh, written by the the writer of Booksmart, who Olivia Wilde also directed, and now this is direct her her another directorial um, her second directorial uh, film, and it has been highly anticipated. It's called Don't Worry, Darling. It's starring Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, got Gemma Chan, Chris Pine. Um, along with uh, several other people. Um, but originally starred in the role um, that Harry Styles is playing was Shia LaBeouf. Um, but this was also cast and announced and starting to rehearse at the same exact time that all of the uh, allegations and and um, allegations of obviously sexual and physical uh, abuse and assault by former partners of his, one being FKA Twigs. Uh, and... At the time, he was also, it was reported, or Olivia Wilde, the director, stated in, in her announcement that she had a no-assholes policy and that basically um, his behavior and, and uh, rehearsal style was not conducive to a safe environment and essentially, like, that, like, that is her ultimate, ultimate goal. So she fired him. Now, flash forward to now as the, the movie's getting ready to roll out, um, he states that she's wrong and, I'll give it to him, brings the receipts that he did not get fired that he that he quit the the film because um he couldn't find rehearsal time with his with her actors as he put it and he then leaked a video of Olivia Wilde apparently um responding to him and talking about um you know wanting to get him back on the film or wanting him to stay on the film and and maybe th- that this would be a wake up call for quote miss flow in reference to Florence Pugh um and it has caused quite the uproar. Um, Florence Pugh um, has paid, stayed pretty much, you know, mums the word on everything. She's not giving many statements. She um, has not done none of the press junkets. The only thing she is participating in is the red carpet walk at, for the premiere at Venice. Um, she has been. Th- this film is supposed to be a pretty much flagship Oscar nom for her from every uh, writing and every review that is out thus far that she is giving a tour de force performance, that she leaps off the screen, which I had no freaking doubt that she would. She is among the most talented actors of her generation. She's um, incredible. Yeah, she's absolutely incredible. And, and quite frankly, this has not, not much to do with her. What I want to say as far as my tangent, to give, now that I've given you the background, is that I quite frankly could give no fucks less about whether the, the insignificant part of whether or not Shia LaBeouf was fired or or quit the, the film himself. He has many, many, many credible allegations of, of physical abuse and sexual abuse from his partners. It is unacceptable that we are talking about um, semantics, about how, how and why he was fired, when really all we have to know and understand is that there is plenty of justifiable reason for doing so, for getting him off of a set. Um, and that at the end of the day, yeah, like, right. Like should Olivia Wilde maybe not have said those things in a video? Sure. But also that, that comes from people who are completely naive to the, to the process and the, the role of a director, not only to lead a film, but to keep all of their actors, um, happy to try to save as much money. Cause if you guys think that Shia LaBeouf didn't walk away, fired or quit, um, with some money from his contract from the studio, and that would have been her responsibility as someone as the director oversees the budget of the film. And what spending is occurring is not trying to either keep someone, an actor who, let's say, whether I like him in his behavior or not, is talented as shit, like to keep him on the film for the sake of the studio. And I can I can speak with probably a decent amount of authority that whether or not she wanted to say it or not, she was being told by the by the studio that in order to save, obviously, the money they paid him in a salary for the film um, that she needed to get him back. So whether she meant the words or not is, is also a little bit insignificant to me. Do I think she could use better word choice? Absolutely. But none of us have had been in the position of having to please that many well-known, talented actors making a ton of money on their second directorial film where the original cast was a, was much, was a much younger set of actors who were just excited about the work. So uh, quite frankly, I think this is all overblown. I think it's still going to be an absolutely incredible film. Um, all of the reviews... Uh, state so and i think that we should be concentrating on the work with something like this because it's not quite as significant as some of the other um deeply troubling um drama that's occurring in in hollywood around films film sets um and and these kind of uh inappropriate relationships on set but 
long story long, that's the T. Caleb, take us on a tangent. <laughs> Thanks for that run- rundown, Torrance. My tangent is actually going to be centered around the uh, elections, the primary, well, I guess primary elections in Alaska over the last uh, week. And Yeet. it's it's really centered around um, actually an opinion piece I read that I very much disagree with. But it, I also think it's it's uh, opens up an interesting conversation if we want to have that in the future. The opinion is called, no, Alaska hasn't figured out a better way to vote. In context of this is that Alaska actually changed how they vote to ranked choice voting. And the way that works is you rank your choices from one to basically however many candidates there are. And then if no candidate gets over 50% of first choice votes um, from voters, then the second place candidates votes or the second place, um, uh, like if you rank your the candidate that everyone ranked as their second choice, like goes into those votes. So it just kind of keeps adding up and you kind of go down the line. Definitely a better explanation probably on YouTube or just Googling it. Um, if that was confusing, but anyways, um, the elections actually allowed for a Democrat to win, um, for the first time in a long time, uh, for their lone house seat, uh, Mary Petola. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And the but, first Alaska native to represent the state. Yes, that's exactly what I was just going to say, actually. Oh, okay, okay. Which is, like, <laughs> <laughs> I had to, hey, I had to represent. <laughs> I, which is really cool. She beat out Sarah Palin. Not a lot of people knew about her, or at least I don't know about it in Alaska, but outside of the outside of Alaska, not a lot of people knew about it. Obviously, Sarah Palin has a lot of name ID and is also batshit. But um, really, Absolutely. really happy, really happy that she lost. Really happy that Mary won. Um, this art, this article basically argues that ranked choice voting has stripped political parties of their role in elections, and that actually leaves voters less informed and our democracy worse off. That's what this ar- this opinion piece argues. And first of all, I really disagree. I don't think political parties are essential to elections. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Well, they've largely been the, 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 the only having a two party system has largely been disadvantaged true democracy in this country. Yes. Yes. And the argument is that look like political parties have all this infrastructure and how they get their information out and blah, 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 blah. But ranked choice voting, since it isn't a primary system where political parties don't get to choose who their candidate is, makes it harder to inform voters because basically anybody can run and play the game of ranked choice voting. And that's what happened to Sarah Palin is it was she wasn't the only Republican that was in this and she kind of got beat out. Not I wouldn't say it's because of ranked choice, but I, I would actually say it's because a lot of voters in Alaska, Republican voters actually just didn't vote for her. <laughs> right, exactly. Which is how elections are. And like, I I don't know. It's just a frustrating opinion piece. I think it's a trap uh, to yes. fall into this argument of, oh, we have to have political parties and no ranked choice voting. I think it's a trap of staying status quo because yes. we haven't really had a system that hasn't been that way. And... They're afraid of what that power structure looks like. Exactly. Especially because a Democrat won for the first time in like almost 30 years there. And the first Alaskan native in a state with a, a huge population of Alaskan natives. And it's, 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 yes. it probably has a lot more to do with people identifying with the person that they ended up choosing as opposed, because that person may have never gotten to the top of the ballot in a normal primary system. This is what true, that's what true democracy looks like is opportunity yes. for the individual without having an entire infrastructure and money of, of, of a um, powerful political party behind it. I mean, I don't know what is more altruistic. Precisely. And I just wanted to warn our viewers to not fall into that status quo trap. I think democracy is important to experiment with. And I think individual states trying out new things is important for what the future of our democracy in general looks like in terms of pulling things we like from here and other things we like from here 
and maybe leaving stuff behind over there that didn't work. I think what Alaska is doing could inform how we're going to vote in the distant future. And I'm excited to see how that works, but don't fall into the traps of status quo because no, we don't need political parties to function in a democracy. Well, that's our show. I'm Caleb Smith. I'm Torrance Witherspoon. <laughs> and we're dangerously, and we're dangerously likely. likely to see, see you, you next, next week. week. <laughs>